When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your ears do not deceive you. You've just entered the Cryptid Creator Corner brought to you by your friends at Comic Book Yeti. So without further ado, let's get on to the interview. This is Byron O'Neill, one of your hosts here on the Cryptid Creator Corner. Before we jump into today's interview, I wanted to tell you about another amazing comics podcast. I had the pleasure of being a guest on Spec Tales this week and had so much fun chatting with Jake and Jesus. Their format is really unique, and it gave me a chance to relive one of the best Comic-Con experiences of my entire life. Please give it a listen and check them out. That's Spec Tales, available on Apple, Google, Spotify, you know, all the usual. Okay, let's get on to the show. Well, welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Cryptid Creator Corner Podcast. I'm your host, Byron O'Neill. And today I'm happy to welcome a returning guest, one of our first, actually, now 60 episodes in, Glad nominated writer David Boer. Thanks, David, for coming back on the show. It's so nice to see you again. Wow. So 60 episodes, huh? That's yeah. amazing. I'm glad I didn't um I didn't it wasn't I didn't turn out to be a black widow for you. <laughs> no, no, not not at all. Not at all. No. We're good. We're rolling right along. Um, having a good time with it. Um good. let's talk about specs. So you have a new Boom Studios project coming out called Specs. And I'm such a nerd. Okay, so the, the people who are not going to be able to see this on the podcast, David has replica. Oh my god! I, yeah, we're on video right now. I forgot that it was audio only, so I have a cool prop, and then all the dead air was because you can't see it. Um, <laughs> yeah, so so uh, specs. Yeah, I have. Um, I also brought the the books. I have hard copies, but specs. No, that's is okay. Coming Show out. them. We, we'll have it on YouTube too, so people can check out both. Oh, nice. So specs is coming out uh, in about. A week and a half. I'm not sure when this is going to air. Uh, it comes out on November 9th from Boom Studios. And it is a kind of supernatural horror throwback series about two best friends in 1987 who happen to um, mysteriously receive a pair of novelty magic glasses from the back of a Silver Age comic book. And those glasses grant wishes. And of course, two 17-year-old kids are going to wish for the um, you know typical things. And then something happens where uh, the wishes start to spiral out of control and the glasses sort of turn out to not be exactly what they had uh, purported to be as magic glasses. And if you really want to do a deep dive, I am also, for the audio-only podcasters, I am holding up an actual pair of magic specs. The uh, wishes are not guaranteed, uh, but I put together, I got a pair of red sunglasses and I designed a backer card for it. And so it's going to be like a uh, promo item that you can pick up for uh, for specs when it comes out. And for those that can't see it, they do look amazing. It's really cool. I'm so proud of myself, Byron. <laughs> I keep bragging about it. It's probably off-putting, but I just thought they turned, you know, sometimes you do projects and they don't turn out the way you envision. And every once in a while, you kind of nail it. And I was just so happy with these. So. I'm going to sign these backer cards. They're going to be available. I think we're going to talk about um, whatnot. Yep, uh, for sure. But they're going to be available on my stream on whatnot. 
Well, I think it's it's super cool to actually see a pair of glasses like that because I think all of us are a certain age uh, are familiar, you know, with those fancy trick glasses that you'd order from comic books or magazines that especially targeted young boys in the eighties. You know, for me, those were the X-rays. X-ray specs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Supposedly allowed you to see right through people's clothing, and that was in like Boys Life, which is really weird that they would advertise that in like a scouting magazine. Yeah. But hey, whatever. So was was hey, that the weren't... original? Yeah, they weren't encouraging you to look through clothing, I'm sure. Not at all. But of no, course, no, never. A 12-year-old boy, that's the only thing that they were thinking about. It was, it was pretty but clear it, in the advertising, you know. That that's that's what they were purported to do. Um, so I'm going to show you one more visual aid. Again, for the uh, for the audio only, uh, I will describe it for you. But um, yeah, so the inspiration was the back of the Silver Age comic books. I have this wonderful uh, book. Uh, I forget who uh, was the was the artist on it, but uh, he it was Marty Bauman. That's who it is. He put together this beautiful hardcover book where he just made up back ads from Silver Age comic books for toys and like sea monkeys and um, you know X-ray specs and all that kind of thing. But he made them up. He like created them from scratch. And so it's this beautiful book of all these fun. 19 you know mid-century advertisements that i used as inspiration so they there's a silver age comic book in the comic book how's that meta for you and we got the advertisement that i'm holding up right now inside specs which is for the magic specs which is sort of how where everything begins for these two friends so the very very long answer to your very short question was um Yes, that is very much the inspiration for uh, this series, this kind of monkey's paw story spinning out of that. So what made you kind of specifically want to mine the 80s? I mean, it's been a big thing lately with properties like Stranger Things, you know, and, and we went so far in in this as to actually put the proverbial comic stash in the parents' attic. So, Yeah, so I, I grew up in the 80s. I was a little bit younger than the two 17-year-old kids who are in the story. Um, so in 1987, I was about eight, uh, but I have such nostalgia for the, for the eighties and in childhoods, you know, my childhood growing up in the Midwest, uh, which is, I grew up in Ohio, which is where the story takes place in 1987 in high, in a high school in a small town in Ohio. Uh, so I love it. I love stranger things. I love, um, I loved fear street, which took place in the nineties. Uh, I just love that. And, and part of the inspiration for some of the design was like uh, Christopher Pike books, novels. If, you, if mm-hmm. anybody's familiar with Christopher Pike, it was um, like, I forget what the what the name of the city, but it was 90s horror. It was like late 80s, early 90s horror novels that I just devoured. Uh, probably too, I was probably too young at the time to devour them, but here we are. Uh, yeah, and I'm a huge Stephen King fan, and it's just very much, it's very much everything I love put together into a story that is a very also personal story. I think you read the first issue, so you could probably I did yeah. guess where the personal aspects because I'm always in any of my work, I want to bring character forward. So even if this is the supernatural horror about magic wish granting glasses, you can very easily chew the scenery with a story like this. And I didn't want to do that. I wanted to make it about these two friends and their relationship and their friendship and how that gets tested in a small town that is not used to outsiders when they both kind of are that. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's okay. You have this, this really fun kind of supernatural 
sort of fantasy overlay to it, but conceptually, it's really not about the glasses. You know, they're just this vehicle to address racism, um, coming to grips with your sexuality, bullying, sadly, things that are still linked today. So I'm curious why you didn't want to kind of narrow the focus down a little bit, because there's a lot there. Um, why not make it more about one thing? Um, well, I guess I, I guess it is one about one thing. And it's about this relationship between these two kids and the circumstances that they find themselves in are all what you talked about, like sexuality and racism and, um, you know, the magic glasses, which kind of <clears throat> peel away those layers. It, it's, they're like a spotlight on what's going on between these two and in this town and sort of, sort of the, the, the mysterious underbelly of what seems like a perfectly fine small town, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think the focus for me, uh, again, you could take the magic specs and you could really make them, uh, you could really make a story that I think I would not love, you know, um, something that was very surface level. And I wanted to do something that was deeper than that. And as you're going to see, as the series goes on, this is just the first issue. You're going to see how these, these magic glasses really test these two characters and thrust them into a situation where they have to confront um, who they are as people and what they mean to each other and how they can move forward after the things that happen, happen. So there's a lot of different elements there, but I think it, it comes down to the relationship between these two and how this one strange thing is really going to test that. Yeah. It, it feels very much to me, my read was very much like a, a love story. I mean, possibly one-sided for now, at least. I mean, we don't know. I don't know where it's going. Um, between yeah. the, the two main characters, you know, Kenny and Ted, uh, which feels a little bit of a familiar thread, you know, um, having talked to you last time about Rain, you know, yeah. in a way. So I think you just like a good love story, uh, maybe. <laughs> I guess maybe I do. Maybe I do like a good love story. Uh, it's... Again, it's it's horror, but it's really character first horror that I love, and it turns out um, you'll you'll see. I don't want to spoil too much of the series, of course, but of course, uh, it's 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 kind of an unrequited love at this point. And then, uh, I it's hard for me to say because I know obviously I know where it all goes. Sure. So it's it's it's. I would just encourage everybody to can uh, to pick up this first issue and continue on and see what happens because I, it's not going to be expected where they end up, uh, and I think in a very satisfying way. Well, you said this was kind of loosely based about you growing up in in Ohio. Um, was is this a an ode to yourself, an ode to your teenage self, or is this just uh, you know? Why, what made you want to tell this particular story at this particular moment in time? I think that's a good way to describe it. An ode to myself, a love letter to my younger self. And obviously, you know, I wasn't, I'm part of the uh, LGBTQ plus community. And I have been for my entire life. You know, we all sort of have been, um, and you know, when I was when I was in high school, I got a pair of magic specs that granted wishes, and 
this is the chrono <laughs> the chronicle of what happened. The yeah. truth comes out. <laughs> yeah. That's the that's the autobiographical part of this, which is the magic specs. Um no, I think it is a love letter to myself. My my younger self uh, sort of tell him that, you know, strange things happen and challenges happen, but you'll get through it. Um and that's what I think these characters are are hoping that they're gonna be able to do is get through it uh together. And that's going to get harder and harder. Well, so far, issue one, which I have read, it's a it's a very tight narrative, which is kind of a departure from more of the fantastical canto or kind of a louder, more out there killer queens or the death <laughs> from above sort of abstraction of rain. You know, this is almost like a, a slice of life, really, if it weren't for the glasses, you know, so your range with this stuff as, as a fairly young writer is impressive. It makes you kind of hard to pin down stylistically and you're not getting away this time. Just saying you're wily, you know, that's not going to fly. Is like that what I last, said last time? That's what you said last Cause time. Cause I'm even more wily now, my friends. <laughs> well, when a, when a news story pops up into your head, what makes it stick? Are, are you one of those people that has a million ideas or do you really get engaged with specific ones? I don't, I, you know, it's funny that that has evolved as I have continued to work, uh, I would, I would pop, I just would pop into my head when I first started out and you kind of have to, I was thinking about this today. Um, it's like the stories are, are, are seeds in your brain mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, you, it, it kind of surprises you sometimes which ones take root and which ones kind of don't. Um, Specs has a really interesting backstory, which is it started out as a single one shot, um, that was going to be in an anthology. And that kind of fell through, but I loved the story. Um, and so it eventually came to a, another publisher as a three-issue series. They wanted to expand it a little bit. And then that fell through. And then I approached Boom about it. And they said, well, why don't we do it as a four-issue series? So this tiny little kernel of an idea about two friends who get magic wish-granting glasses and the consequences that come from making wishes morphed from 20 pages into four issues now. So a lot of the things you mentioned about the town and these kids as outsiders and, you know, racism and, and race and sexuality and small town America in the eighties um, kind of sprang out of making the story bigger than it started. So uh, it, it, it's been an interesting it's been a fun, fun life for this story, and I'm very glad it's here. Um, I think that went very far away from your original question, which I now don't remember. <laughs> it's because you're wily. Yeah, that, that's why. it is because I'm wily. Oh, pinning me down. Speaking, it, it, yes, exactly. There we go. Why? Why? How? You know, who am I if I can? If I do Guardians of the Galaxy, which is Killer Queens. Do the uh, rip your heart out in rain, and then do the big fantastical adventure in Canto, and now slice of life in, in specs. Um, I just do the stories I love, and I think each story demands something different. And so specs to me really demanded that we need to meet these two characters and, and see what their lives are like before they're turned upside down by the thing that happens. So. Um, I guess that's my answer. I, it's, it's, it probably is Wiley, but it's, it's sort of, I have a vision of what a story should be and I don't, it doesn't matter to me 
like where it fits mm-hmm. as long as I just tell the story that I um the best version of that idea as a story is what I want to do. Well, it was adequate. You answered it adequate. <laughs> Byron is tough. He's tough. Wow. So I'm curious, um, since since there are several iterations here, um, Christian is the artist on the project. Uh, was Chris always around? Like he was a recent guest on on the show. Jimmy actually interviewed him. So how did how did you connect and how did he get involved? They get involved with the project. Yeah. So Chris is wonderful. Uh they were always no, that's not true. When it came a became a three-issue series, I approached Chris to see if they would be interested in doing it. And they were. And the reasons we I, you know, I don't really want to get into the reasons why we left that other publisher, but sure. Um uh we left together. We did we had we made a decision that um, you know, this book was going to be our book together and wherever it would land um and boom was a was a great was a great home for it. it was the first place that i thought of because i was doing firefly boom and chris was doing house of slaughter with boom so we both had a relationship there um relationship with our particular um editor elizabeth bray and really it became like i i was frankly a little surprised when they took it just because i thought it wasn't they're they're something is killing the children and they only find them when they're dead and berserker and all these big, big stories. And I was surprised that they wanted to do this one. Uh, but I think it had a lot to do with uh, the relationship that Chris and I have built with boom and sort of coming in as a package. I think they just, they wanted to do it. And then seeing the covers and seeing the art come out, it just, it went, the story has gone so far beyond even my wildest expectations for it. It just looks beautiful and I and I love it. And it's very, you know, again, it's personal. And I just I'm so thrilled about it. I'm thrilled. Well, it's great to talk to you about it. I really, really enjoyed the first issue quite a bit. I didn't know entirely what to expect. Um, but it became I'm it's very weird to me. Um, slice of life and is, would you say it's accurate to call it that, first of all? And I don't want to use that that terminology if that doesn't feel right. I think yeah, I think it is. Yes, it's Stephen King's best, uh, and I, I just am probably going to get filleted on social media if I compare myself to Stephen King. So let's just start with by, let's just start with I'm not doing that. Caveat. Yes, Stephen King's best stories are about ordinary people that something really extraordinary happens to them, and that's and I've I've been reading Stephen King since I was. 10 years old, 11 years old. Um, so to me, Specs is kind of a love letter to that idea where you have kids, high school kids who are dealing with their own challenges and high school, high school is scary enough. And then you add this extra layer of what happens when they get these magic specs. And it's, it's like that, that it's, it's my love letter to Stephen King saying, Here's ordinary people. Here's an extraordinary thing that happens to them. Let's follow it through and see what chaos ensues. Well, before we get away from Chris, um, there's an Easter egg I, I had to ask about. Um, and I don't feel like this is giving anything away. I think this will actually make people want to find this. Um, <laughs> perhaps it's not, gonna go. Where are you gonna perhaps go? it's not too much of an Easter egg, but um, Kenny's room has a labyrinth poster on the wall. So I admit to having one of those myself. In, in the mid to late 80s. So was that a you or was that a Chris thing? 
Uh, I told Chris Easter eggs. I love Easter eggs. I told Chris, do it, whatever you want. And then I gave some examples of, I really wanted to make sure that they were pre-1987 movies. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I gave Chris a bunch of examples of movies that I loved. And um, one of them was Labyrinth, Neverending Story, I think was before 87. Um, Yeah. And then I don't know if you, did you catch catch the other Easter egg that was in here? Uh, probably not. If if I'm not getting it immediately on the prompt, I was there's I a three thirty three on the clock, but I, I was. There is two. I'm trying to think. Of, I'm trying. To, I'm just flipping through for everybody who's on audio. No, there is one specific one that is not an '80s reference, but it is a. Um, well, I guess it could be, but it is a um, Easter egg that we put in for my own work. <laughs> So, okay. I will go back that. and look. I'll see if I can find mm-hmm. it. All right. Well, you have Roman Stevens doing the color work, um, which is it was a really interesting color palette for me. Because when I think of the eighties, I I tend to tend to think of these brighter tones with like these racy yellows or pinks thrown in, like you know, like California, you know, TNC surfing. Like I remember wearing these T-shirts that were, were you know, kind of those colors. Um, but it's, it's more subdued. There's like a, almost a greenish yellow, almost intentional aging overlay to it. So was that right. part of the script or, you know, was that something Roman brought to the table? Or? That's, that's, that's all Roman. And the, I, the, the, the sort of monochromatic palettes and, uh, you know, the switching between scenes and you switch between, um, that was all Roman. And I love it because when you do think of the eighties, you do think of that neon and it, it's like, if you got in a time machine and you went back in time, I'm sure that the eighties were not exactly like we remember them. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got 40 years to swim through to get back to the eighties and our memory of it is probably very different from what it was. And this to me feels like feels more real, feels more grounded, I guess for sure. not real, but more grounded. And that's really what I wanted. Yes, it takes place in 1987, but you read the first two pages of the issue and you know why it takes place in 1987. Um, because there's a framing story around all of this that you're going to discover why it's set up that way. So um, I, I love, I mean, Roman is just like, when it all came together, I'm just like giddy about it because when it all came together, again, it just exceeded everything that I expected. So kudos to Boom and Roman and Chris and um, Jim Campbell did the lettering. Yeah. Elizabeth did the edits. Elizabeth Bray. It's all, it all came together to make something that I'm really proud of. Well, I wanted to, to touch on Whatnot because I know you've been doing a lot of stuff there recently. Um they have their own comics publishing arm that's been rolling out a whole bunch of series that are they're soon to be released. So, you know, how's that going for you? What exactly are you doing on there? How does it work? I'm I'm fascinated. I still don't. I still have no idea what I'm doing. Um, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Whatnot is wonderful. Uh, a wonderful platform for me personally as a creator. Uh, we were talking a little bit off offline about this. It really breaks down the walls between uh, creators. On the creator side of things, I can I'll describe to you sort of what whatnot is in a macro level. But for a creator like me, I can bring out specs. I got a box of. I'm probably going to get in trouble from Boom, but um, I'm throwing ca- a little caution to the wind. 
because I got a whole box of um, copies a week and a half ahead of time. So I'm doing a stream tonight. This is probably going to air in a couple of days, right? Yeah, it'll be after that. But so it'll be after that. But I'm doing a stream where I'm going to offer up some. I'm offering up like first first signed copies where you write first sign and then you sign it because it's the first copy that you've signed. Um, but breaking down those barriers between me and readers who want copies of my work, it's very different from like it's it's similar to convention in that way that you're kind of peddling your work. But it's different than a convention because you are concentrating for an hour all of people who want to see your work into the room. So instead of cold pitching your stories over and over and over again over the course of eight hours of a con, I've sort of built up a following on whatnot. So when my show goes live, everybody gets a push notification. They all come into the room and they see what I got going on. So like this this show that I'm going to be doing... um, Tonight, again, uh, it'll be a couple days ago uh, when this airs. I've got Specs, I've got Rain, I've got Kanto, uh, I've got Firefly, it's all my stuff and signs. And, and you know, it's, it's an amazing experience to get in there and see the chat and see everybody who's like excited about my work. Um, yeah, so it's been a really wonderful uh, community building experience for me. Whatnot and the greater whatnot. There's a lot of comics retailers who are on there and they just sell books that come out from anybody. And I sell some of those too, but um, it's, there's a lot of really um, top level retailers who go on there, streamers who go on there and who get hundreds of people in their rooms and that sort of thing. I've heard it's, it's more, you've really got to be deliberate about building your audience as a retailer, as a creator. I already have my calling cards out there. So people know. Uh, so it's a little bit more challenging there for retailers. And then there's the separate arm, which is the whatnot publishing, which you've mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, whatnot publishing actually puts out their own series and they have the first creator on series that's going to be in comic shops. So I'm taking what's in comic shops to whatnot and whatnot publishing is taking what's on whatnot into comic shops. It's wild to watch. This is the, the new, new marketing paradigm, right? Cause I know um this is boom to be clear but i'm pretty sure that um vault is on whatnot as well i think they're doing some yeah. stuff on there yeah vault uh um source point and scout i think all of them uh have a pretty big presence on whatnot recognize okay. the recognizing the value of coming on and uh eliminating some of the uh obstacles between uh publishers and the and 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 buyer, the end user, the end reader, and it kind of takes that takes the. I hate to say it because I have a, a lot of love for comic shops. It takes the distributor out and takes the comic shop out sometimes. So, a place like Scout or a place like SourcePoint can do an, a variant cover partnering with whatnot, and they just drop it on the streams with various people, including the creators, and that's how they get their five hundred or a thousand copies of the variant out there. Uh, and it's a really interesting new uh, approach to comics that I personally think is not going anywhere. And I'm glad to see that uh, po- that uh, local comic shops are not treating whatnot as a competitor, but treating whatnot as as complementary to what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like 
it takes some of from a retailer perspective it takes a little bit of the guesswork out of potentially investing in something that you're not sure you know is going to sell um and from a creator perspective it certainly sounds like it's easier to stay rejuvenated and engage with your audience because your your con example you know where you're, you're dealing with people where you're not quite sure whether okay are they really into my book they have no idea who i am like you know right. are, are they really going to enjoy killer queens like yeah, which one of which one of these are you gonna like? Right. I don't know. So I end up cold pitching, you know, all kinds of different stories to all kinds of different people all the time at a convention. And it's remarkable what I can I'm because tr- I, I I love conventions too. So I don't wanna, you know, say say anything negative about conventions because I think they serve their um you know an important purpose in the comics industry. But it's funny, since I've been in Whatnot, I um, can can do a, a two-day convention, and I can actually do better in an hour-and-a-half stream on Whatnot than I do at a two days at a convention. And and it's the, entirely the result of concentrating the people that want your work into one place at one time, rather than getting out there and standing by your table and hoping to you know, create new readers, create new fans. So obviously it's, there's the marketing on whatnot. You're not marketing yourself to new people. If it's Mm -hmm. the same people keeping coming into your room, the way you do it at convention, but also for uh, creators who are really busy and have lots going on, taking time for a three-day convention, tough sometimes. So that's the value of concentrating everybody on whatnot. But you, then you're missing out on on like creating new readers, creating new fans just through the convention experience. Well, you are a creator who has a lot going on. So you have many irons in the fire. I'm sure some of which you cannot talk about yet. But what does the outlook, the outlook for 2023 look like for you? You know, any update on the animated Canto series? So that is still in development. Okay. Um, it takes a very long time for these things to get made. Always. We're uh, with Westbrook, which is Will and Jada Smith's uh, production company. Uh, they're very excited about it. We're putting some pieces into place. I, I unfortunately have to sort of vague speak about it, but we are putting some pieces into place that I think is going to make it spectacular. Um, and as far as... Um, I, What do you want to say, David? Oh, it's so hard because they're so... There's such cool things coming down the pike. I will tease that uh, there is um, uh, Killer Queens is not gone. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, so um, that hopefully you will you'll be seeing some some information, some uh, news about that. Uh, Specs is coming. There's a couple more things that I'm very, very, very excited about. Uh, Things that are related to I'm not, I'm not going to say anything, um, but you'll just have to have to see. Hopefully, by the end of the year, we'll we'll be able to reveal one of them, and then another one is coming um, next year. And then, in addition to that, I'm doing a lot of uh, television and uh, feature, like film film writing. So, uh, my days are uh, long and full. Just That's how I like. No. Well, you have all this stuff going on and people are going to want to hear about what's going on. So when you release this stuff, when you eventually can, where can they find you online? And where can they find you on whatnot, by the way? 
Yeah, so uh, whatnot. I'm at David Boer. So if you just go on to what you, I think you might have to uh, sign up for an account, which is free. And then you just search for my handle at David Boer, all one word. Uh, you will find me. You can bookmark shows. You can look at um, what I have, you know, up that's coming up for auction in a particular show, that sort of thing. Uh, then on Instagram, I'm at David M. Boer. And on Twitter, who knows how long that's going to last, but I'm at David Boer. And I'm also on Facebook if you want to look me up. Um, Instagram is probably where I'm most active. And then on Whatnot. So I encourage everybody to come and throw me a follow. Join me on Whatnot. Some cool things. I wish you all would follow me. And let's see if the wish comes true with the magic specs. There you go. Well, I have a, a new closing segment about the hustle. Um, I firmly believe any creative endeavor requires quite a bit of hustling to make it a success. So this would be your tidbit of knowledge or a bit of encouragement for people trying to make it in the comics business or younger people listening who are just considering a career in the industry. So what do you have for them? Uh, go to conventions, which have started up again. Make yourself uh, visible and a known person to publishers, editors, other creators. Become part of the community as you're honing your craft. And then um, when you're ready, you'll have people and places uh, to go to ask for a foot in the door. Because so many times I, I, I talk to creators and they just want to put their foot in the door immediately. And it took me 10 years of networking before I even pitched a single comic to anybody anywhere. And by that point, I knew who I wanted to talk to about it. So lay the foundation before you try to swing open that door to get into the industry. Don't try to force your way into it. Yeah, the most off-putting thing is somebody you meet in the very first conversation. They're like, can you help me? Yeah. You know, I have a lot of people that you know I know much better than, the, than you from the last five minutes yeah. who also need help. So uh, make yourself that kind of person that other creators, publishers, editors want to see succeed. Well, my last question has to be about your puppies. How are they doing? The Greyhound. So I have two, uh, for anybody who remembers from last time, I have two retired racing Greyhounds. And they are having the time of their lives because I am home full-time now. I left my full-time day job last year, and my husband is home uh, two out of five days a week. So they're just basking in the glow of love and companionship. As as are we, <laughs> and I, I have to go back. I, I don't know. I have this feeling that maybe the the uh, the the Easter egg might have. Maybe maybe you got to have the greyhounds in there somewhere. I mean, there's another there's another little uh, creature who has become very dear to me. I'm pointing to my background right here. Who, uh, if you know me at all, you know one of my other series is, uh, and. He may or may not be making an appearance. Okay. Well, was there a specific uh, Greyhound Rescue you guys got them from? I meant to ask you last time. Yeah, it's an organization called Fast Friends, and it's in Southern California. And what they do is often take a caravan down to um, Mexico City uh, and pick up their Greyhounds that are racing in Mexico and bring them back for their retirement. 
because there's no uh, Greyhound racing in um, California, I think there's none in Nevada and maybe now Arizona. Uh, it's and also Texas. It's just uh, their their focus is Mexico, so they bring them back up from Mexico and uh, adopt them out. That's amazing. That's where how we got our puppy too. She was from a, a no kill shelter in Baja. There you go. Lots of dogs in Mexico need your love. So if you're looking, go find. Well, back to specs. Um, my pitch here, I wasn't honestly sure, you know, what I was going to get from the book before I cracked the pages. I can say after reading issue one, honestly, still don't have an excellent bead, but but that's actually an amazing thing, you know, for a child like myself, uh, an '80s kid. This it's far more relatable nostalgia as far as the nostalgia elements go than Stranger Things, because despite that you know, reality defining nature of, you know, the titles I wear, it's, it's a universally relatable story about these deeper truths within our, within ourselves that, that hide from the world, even from those that are closest to us. So I quite enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to, you know, following the series. I would love if there was more than four issues personally. I was today, we were out for a run and the, I, and I got struck with the idea about than a sequel. So what you're going to see by the end of the series is that these, um, this is not the first nor the last time that the magic specs appear in the world. And so to continue on with the series focused on how these magic specs move from person to person in different time periods and what they how they uh, shine a spotlight on what's going on in particular characters' lives and how they sort of wreck things up a little bit i think um there's opportunity for lots so i would just say to all the listeners please uh pick up that first issue pre-order all four issues i promise you won't be disappointed and the more uh we readers we get on board the more likely it is to have specs too fantastic now i've got to go back and look and see if chris like got in an easter egg in house of slaughter with one of the characters wearing red <laughs> the very first uh, uh, Specs remark was the House of Slaughter issue one cover where he, Chris, remarked red glasses on the main character on that cover. And I still have it. The nice. very first thing he ever did for Specs. That's cool. Well, David, thanks so much for hanging out with me today. Again. Oh, it's always my pleasure. I'm always happy to come on. Next year, we'll have we'll have to do it again in the first of the year so we can, we can finally talk about all this fun things that are coming. We'll do it. Well, this is Byron O'Neill on behalf of all of us at Comic Book Yeti. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next time. This is Byron O'Neill, one of your hosts of the Cryptid Creator Corner, brought to you by Comic Book Yeti. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of our podcast. Please rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. It lets us know how we're doing and more importantly, how we can improve. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the Cryptid Creator Corner, maybe you would enjoy our sister podcast, Into the Comics Cave. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Galvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg but their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment 
action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one. All you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the Department of Metahuman Affairs or DMA and check it out right now. 